0: Welcome to the Disaster Tough podcast, where we talk about emergency management by emergency managers. We share stories, lessons, and tips to help keep you moving forward. I am John Scardina, the host. I share my experience as a former federal emergency response official who's responded to some of the most extreme disasters over the past decade. I now lead a private emergency management firm called Doberman Emergency Management, that focuses on emergency planning, mitigation, and response. This is episode two, let's get started. Can you trust the data for coronavirus? Of course, I'm talking about the data that's coming out of the US exclusively, like the number of cases and the death rate. People seem to be really impacted by the news on how it's been collected. Like during the last week alone, the news broke that any death that could be related to COVID-19 as in no matter what they had died from, if they had either tested positive for coronavirus or it was highly plausible that they had it when they died, like they had the symptoms but they weren't tested, they were considered a coronavirus fatality. One doctor even claimed that no matter what they died from to put on the death certificate uh, that they had died from coronavirus. My counterparts haven't gotten such a letter in at their hospitals, so think what you will on that one. But people are making this claim, right? No matter how you're dying, it's coronavirus related. That's blown out of proportion a little bit. But even the White House infectious disease expert, Dr. Fauci, he confirmed that any person who died who also had COVID-19 was considered such a case. Man, when that happened last week, people were blowing my phone up. People in the industry were annoyed. Other friends of mine outside of emergency management were saying things like, See, it's not that bad because, you know, quote unquote, the data is bad, or fine. And then they started really going off the rails saying that because they had, we haven't tested everyone, that our data is already, again, quote, bad. Maybe you've been going through some of these emotions or had similar thoughts. You know, you're really wondering if this is, you know, as serious as a lot of people are making it sound. Like, why in the world should you trust this information then? Is it really a pandemic? So I just want to help you, like, pump the brakes for a second, because when the news came out, I'm an emergency manager, right? I get it, but I also happen to be a data guy, and so I didn't really think much of the announcement. And I'll tell you why, but first, like, remember that this is a global epidemic, so it's an official pandemic, it has real consequences, people are dying. So don't just grab onto this one soundbite and throw the response out of the window on your way to the beach, okay? Okay. This is real, and it is rough for a lot of people out there. Okay, It's a slow-onset disaster, so it changes how we look at the disaster. Like You don't see the clouds coming in, but you can look at the data and say, okay, this is impacting people's lives. So why am I okay with this revelation? Why do I understand that this is a logical step in data collection? There are a few examples of why this is correct method to collect data, and I just want to share them with you. So taking an example, right, if you look at different disasters where it's a large-scale impact, a nuclear attack, uh, some kind of chemical release into the air, or even like an intense weather system that's about to dump water over a huge area, right, if any of these occur, the very first question from everyone would be, how bad is it? The general population wants to know that. That's all they really want to know. How many people are going to get hurt? The disasters I just provided are usually accompanied by some kind of cloud or uploom. plume. Let's take that storm system. I don't want to talk about the other ones. They're a little bit more doomsday preppy than I like to get into. Uh, We don't need any other major disasters right now anyways. So if you live in the Midwest and things are starting to heat up, which you know means that there will be major rainstorms rolling in, your weather guy reports out that this one particular storm could cause mass flooding. To answer the how bad is it question with a whole lot of I need to know that information right now kind of feeling, the initial step is to look at your max extent. You'll look at where the water will fall, compare that to populations, and provide an answer within that 15-minute window. You'll provide a 20% solution that everyone else understands in the room is a 20% solution You'll provide a number of people that equates to everyone within the system's path right? Like that's your max extent. That makes sense. You have 15 minutes, you got to figure out what it is and how bad it could be. You don't want to grow that number later on. You want to eliminate numbers from that total. So after you provide a 20% confidence example, then you will need to start running down better information. The system will go through the area and then you'll be able to see where it actually went. It won't just be a model anymore. And now you're at 30%. Then you'll need to grab a server, which takes time, and you'll start looking at the time of day. Were people home or not? You'll look at structure type, commercial facilities, or were they residential neighborhoods? Now you're at 40%. You'll look at road systems, spill and floodways, and general infrastructure. Now you're at 50%. Then you'll look at river systems, flood gauges on those river systems, levees, dams, canals, and all other water management. Now you're at 60%. And after all that... You need to still collect where the floodplains are, who's located in those floodplains. It's probably, luckily, mobile homes. You're at 70%, right? And finally, you need to compile that information and run algorithms to figure out debris pile management and where those impact clogs from that debris will be in the flooding system, how long it takes for the water to disperse. Is it inundation or is it surge, for example? And then you need to finally, uh, through an analytical process, be able to weed out areas of low to no concern uh, and consecrate on the actual flooding problem. So that's, that's 80%. The last 20% of confidence comes with aerial imagery, insurance claims, emergency response, and site visits. You obviously want to get from 20% confidence to 80% plus confidence as fast as you can. But it doesn't negate that that takes a lot of time to do that. You will provide updates along the way as you gain greater confidence and as you weed things out, but even that final 80 to 100% range won't happen for weeks or months. You can do everything perfectly right and still not have an answer. This is why we start off with max extent. An emergency manager always wants to be wrong. Wrong if the pendulum swayed towards saving lives. That's what people don't get about our field, right? Like, there is no such thing as the boy who cried wolf in our field. We desperately want to be wrong. But more often than not, if you get to the point where you're providing expert guidance, you won't be, unfortunately. I'll explain expert guidance uh, versus opinion-based later on in this episode. But for now, like that's what you need to be thinking of. Gaining max extent as you're going through. Now, as you're hearing this analogy, you might be thinking that I'm saying we're only at a 20% confidence rate for these death tolls right now. Man, I so hope that's right. But unfortunately, I don't think it's that low. I think we're a lot higher than 20% confidence. We've been tracking COVID-19 for months now. We have tracked every single person who's been infected on numerous cruise ships. We have watched it move through those isolated populations and tracked how it spread on those ships and how long it lasts on different material types, like we know a lot because of those case studies. And unfortunately, from the numbers perspective, like that tells us for a higher percentage rate of confidence as we're reporting numbers now. So with limited resources to focus only on uh, tests for severe cases or you know, be like Utah, which is pretty cool what they're doing, they're starting to do randomized testing uh, in addition to those cases, right, to see if, to see how many people are asystematic, which would be very good to discover. Anyways, we do know a lot, but we don't know everything yet. And just like a flood and the time needed to research and whittle down that information, we need to follow the same process with this virus as well. Researchers are analyzing the information. Hopefully they will look at their batch data and begin carving out events that don't apply to why somebody died. I hope they find that coronavirus doesn't lead to heart attacks or brain aneurysms or enhancement of liver disease. And as they do find out how this actually impacts the body, they will be able to provide the highest confidence in numbers. I have a lot of respect for Dr. Fauci. Don't get me wrong. He did provide accurate information, but a lot of people don't get data collection and analyzation. So in the media, who sensationalizes everything, and definitely does not have your best interest in mind, ask a question or hears that we collected raw data and using that information, then they will completely jump on the opportunity to destroy the public's confidence in your work. So lesson learned there as well. Even if you're right, sometimes it's better not to feed the wolves. It would be terrible if people stopped taking this seriously because they thought all of a sudden this wasn't as bad as it first appeared. No, people are still dying, and if they aren't dying, they're still having a terrible go at it. So we shouldn't let up. Not yet. Keep taking this seriously. Let me show you one other side of the coin. Underselling the numbers, or downplaying how many people can be hurt. This is a backfire that you never want. It's better to be wrong when the pendulum sways towards saving lives, right? If you report a low number of deaths and it turns out a lot more people died... Dude, game over. The media, the general public, your superiors will have zero confidence in your ability. You don't want to become the new, Brownie, you're doing a heck of a job. Don't undersell a situation because the reports will come out. And when they do, you could even be like Michael Brown, FEMA administrator, and get sacked. Underselling will cost you a career. Using max extent data and update as you gain more reliable information will raise people's hopes that the situation is getting better, not worse, and be good for you. The most notable recent example of this is in Puerto Rico, September 2017 after Hurricane Maria. I was responding to another hurricane, so FEMA sent over another team with less experience, and quite frankly, they were slow in their response and it cost them their jobs. But that wasn't the real issue. I mean, partially sure. But the bigger problem wasn't that just FEMA was moving slow. It was a notoriously corrupt local government who thought FEMA did the tactical-level response and had no emergency plan, an infrastructure that hadn't been updated since 1950, and it was an island, which by definition has its own logistical concerns. I mean, the people who are there are amazing. But during a hurricane and during the hurricane response, there was a lot of problems. The biggest issue out of all of that was the underselling of how many people were killed by Hurricane Maria. Puerto Ricans were killed by Hurricane Maria and it wasn't reported. It was absolutely a governmental mistake. I don't think it was intentional, but I do think it was a serious miscalculation. Poor reporting and horrible tracking. A Category 4 hurricane that impacts a fragile system somehow only had 64 deaths? Like, Puerto Ricans are resilient, and they're amazing people, but there's just no way, especially because the data doesn't lie. And there were 1,400 more deaths recorded in 2017 than the previous four years. So when George Washington University decided to do their own independent research, they found with a 95% confidence that instead of 64 deaths, it was more likely that 2,600 people had perished. It was outlandish. You probably remember this, it was pretty big news at the time. It absolutely should have costed someone their job. All those families who were grieving, who needed help, who were impacted by the hurricane, weren't getting help and weren't getting noticed. And not having the experience of those loved ones' deaths recorded correctly, I and mean, that's pretty rough. You know, when George Washington University reported that, the government got sued, I think three times, and they were forced to update their numbers. It and It came out to like 2,900 deaths. Our work matters. And what we say matters. You can't say 64 deaths as an assumption with bad data, bad collection, and it be more like 3,000 deaths. You have to use max extent and work your way down. Right? And if you don't know that information, you don't share that information until you've collected that data. Okay, so I think I've really driven this home pretty thoroughly, right? You want to understand what's going on and you need to use max extent. I mentioned earlier about expert guidance. You heard me on the last episode say, opinion-based analysis is a sample size of one. That means I don't really care too much for opinion. I want evidence through data. If you can provide that to me, that tells me what you're about to say is based on a factual foundation. Now, your confidence might be a 20% solution, but it's on a factual foundation. Your opinion then becomes something more. It becomes expert guidance because you can take data, best practice, professional experience, and then provide expert guidance to help out. To have expert guidance, you need to be able to back up your claims with data. This is much more than just an opinion, which is usually full of assumptions and what I would claim minimal personal experience. Meaning it's it's your own experience that you're trying to make a decision from. If you've been in the field for a while, I mean, this one should be ringing really well through your ears. You know this. It drives us crazy when we hear someone not reacting to an evacuation notice. Because it's never happened to me before. Right? We've heard that one. Or like the famous story of the man on Mount St. Helens, who when he was told to evacuate said that he'd lived there his whole life and he knew that he would be okay, that the volcano wouldn't erupt. Well, first of all, volcanoes erupt hundreds of years apart, so of course he hadn't experienced it. He used his personal experience as the only data point to determine that he would not have to evacuate. The man was killed and his home destroyed. Meeting those people is easy to see that they are using opinion, but honestly, sometimes we do it too. This is just a call out that we can fall into the same trap of opinion by especially those who don't understand our field and are looking for guidance. Don't be afraid to say that you don't know or that you'll look into it. For example, several years ago, I was meeting with a distant relative who, let's be honest, like most emergency preparedness minded people, gets stuck in the what if dilemma. She was asking me so many hyper specific questions. What if this? What if that? And at the time, I was trying to answer them. But since then, I have learned my lesson. I avoid the what-if scenarios and react based on training, field experience, data, and current best practice. Like, Let's teach those principles and then give them the situational awareness to make the best decision if they find themselves in an emergency. So this episode is all about data and presenting data. Relating to coronavirus, again, the data isn't bad. Collecting everything to make our data set is appropriate. The information we are trying to capture for COVID 19 deaths is good because the purpose of that data is to provide a max plausible outcome that researchers can study to provide updated expert guidance. Remember, this can seriously backfire in a major way if we don't do it like this. I'm not just talking about the extreme frustration of collecting and analyzing data only to realize that you have missed a significant piece of the puzzle, which does happen and is beyond frustrating. No, I'm talking about the real-world examples of major mistakes of underselling and how it impacts the general public. They listen to you, and so you need to be right. So that's the lessons from today. Max extent reporting is good, and updating is better. Underselling is really bad. There's no such thing as the boy who cried wolf in our industry. We want to be wrong so long as the pendulum sways towards saving lives. So remember that as you're working with data and you're working with people who use data, that it can help you and it will likely improve over time if they're doing it right. So that's our podcast from today. Stay disaster tough. Good luck with the fight. And of course, like and subscribe to keep up with the latest episode. Do you have a question or comment? Make sure you email us at info at dobermanemg.com. Again, that's info at DobermanEMG.com.